God of soil and seed and stem and leaf. We give you thanks for all that is growing among us in garden, in mind, in diapers, in spirit. We do what we can to encourage the growth. We tend and cultivate in ways we hope will help more than hurt. But finally, we entrust it all to your green thumb. For you're the God of life, having willed and spoken into being all that we know, all that we are, and caused it to flourish. Awed and perhaps a little envious, we worship you and give thanks. We're grateful as well for all your expressions of grace and wonder and joy that animate and color our living. Here as well our intercessions for those preparing for surgery, undergoing tests, languishing in declining health. Grow your presence among us for we pray offering ourselves as your fertile soil with the words that Jesus taught us saying our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We tried something different this year. Uh, Soil blocks, they're called. In previous years, we had sown seeds in those little plastic trays divided into small cells that are filled with potting soil. And along the way, we kept reading uh, about this other system that, with the help of this really cool special tool, makes a dozen at a time, two inch by two inch blocks of the potting soil itself with a little uh, dimple uh, in the top for the seed. I've hated those little lousy plastic trays, and so we decided this year to try it. And with the help of that tool and uh, some willing friends, we ended up making close to 2,000 such blocks that look like a pan of thick brownies when nestled in their tray, and, and the blocks were subsequently fed a seed and lodged in the greenhouse for the last couple of months of winter. So how did it work? Well, let me just say that uh, based on our previous experience, part of the reason for uh, making and, and planting so many is that typically at our hands, at least, uh, a third or more of the seeds never germinate. And overplanting then is just sort of the way to end up with enough. This year with the soil blocks, virtually every one of those seeds... <laughs> broke through the surface and emerged into 
planthood, uh, which partly accounts for how we came to plant 160 tomato plants in the garden and and then still donate 120 more to a local nonprofit group that manages community gardens for immigrants. Those and only God knows how many cabbages and broccolis and cauliflowers and peppers and onions and more. <laughs> I, I think it was successful. <laughs> we watered throughout those greenhouse weeks with rainwater that we had stored in rain barrels uh, and kind of hoarded in the garage before the winter uh, settled in. So uh, soil blocks, uh, rainwater, high-quality seeds, supplemental lighting, every now and then some supplemental heat, and kind, gentle, loving words of encouragement uh, meant that we were indeed wildly successful for two people who don't really know what we're doing. We feel pretty smug about it. Of course, it could be that there is more to it than that. As Jesus tries to suggest to those listening to these parables that we've read again this morning. The, the kingdom of God, Jesus said, is as if someone planted seeds in soil blocks in the greenhouse and would sleep and rise night and day and the seed would sprout and grow. He doesn't have a clue how. The earth, Jesus said, produces of itself. First the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. Which is to say that the process has more to do with mystery than mastery. Beyond all of our horticultural interventions, there are essential dimensions to this process of growing that only God has a finger on. And it's also to say that Jesus wasn't really talking about gardening at all. The conversation that day was not about the emergence of vegetables. It was about the emergence, the growth of the kingdom of God. God's way of life for all creation. How does it happen? How does it grow? We're still looking for answers to that question. 2,000 years of discipleship, and one could be forgiven for expecting more progress along the way. Just to continue with Jesus' metaphor, you'd think we ought to be getting closer to the harvest. But a quick look around reveals no sickle or scythe or John Deere harvester in view. You know, it hasn't been a good week for the kingdom of God. A nine-month-old baby, the casualty of his parents' relational dysfunction. A teenage boy shot in the mouth and killed in his own basement by a friend. Another racially charged police confrontation, this time in McKinney, Texas. A disgruntled employee opening fire in the Coralville Mall and taking out his murderous frustrations on a co-worker. Just to 
name a few of those new social insects nibbling at the emergent growth. And not even to mention all the enduring prejudice and fearfulness and discrimination and deprivation in our communities and in our world. And the church, you know, assumed to be the chief among those undertaking that gardening role has, come on, let's face it, poisoned about as much soil as we fertilized. Travis recently referred to the most recent survey on religious practice in America, which revealed that the the growth segment in our population is with that portion identifying itself as the religiously unaffiliated, the nuns, as in none of the above. You know, we'd like to blame that statistic on a culture full of self-centered, self-indulgent narcissists who are simply too lazy and indifferent to submit themselves to the rigors of discipleship. And I'm, I'm sure there's probably some truth to that. We are a pretty self-centered lot uh, in our culture. But it sure doesn't suggest a very high estimation of our own compellingly magnetic witness. It, it appears that we, in the church universal, are repulsing about as many as we're attracting. Which makes Jesus' parable a kind of bearer of profoundly good news. Every now and then, someone in the church will urge on the faithful with the conviction expressed in a poem by Annie Johnson Flint adapting words from St. Teresa of Avila. Perhaps you've heard it. God has no hands but our hands to do his work today. God has no feet but our feet to lead others in his way. God has no voice but our voice to tell others how he died. And God has no help but our help to lead them to his side, which, of course, is wonderfully motivational but theologically speaking, is total rubbish. We are hardly God's only resource. Once upon a time, on that day that we label Palm Sunday, uh, the officials chastised Jesus for all this commotion that his followers were causing and told him to keep them quiet, silence them. But according to Luke, Jesus responded, you know what? If these were silent, the very rocks would cry out. Now, to be sure, we can be wonderfully useful, but we aren't the only tool in God's box. Now, I don't want to put too fine a point on this. I'm not suggesting that we are trivial in the workings of God. In the gospel reading suggested for last Sunday, Jesus rather curtly notes that it isn't those sitting around banking on their bloodlines who are the real relations of Jesus, but rather those who do the will of God who are Jesus' real brothers and sisters and mother. In the parable, the gardener plays a pretty important role She or he prepares the soil, sows the seed, and presumably tends it along the way. They do all the usual gardening things, planting, weeding, watering, fencing out the rabbits, probably shooting some. (laughs) But at the end of the day, growth is neither automatic nor routine. 
We participate in this mystery and growth of both plants and holiness, but it's somehow ultimately beyond us. As much of it happens while we sleep as when we're hoeing. It's surely more than dumb luck, but the diligent and patient labor invested is infinitely more than our own. God's movement in our lives and in our world is in God's own way and at God's own pace. Our religious acrobatics don't control it, nor do, thankfully, our spiritual missteps much impede it. So it's fair to ask, why do we do what we do as a people of faith? If, as the old hymn suggests, God is working his purpose out as year succeeds to year, or as the prophets confided, that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the seas, why don't we just stand aside and let God do what God wills to do? Well, the answer, I think, is that we're a people in love. We aren't members of some spiritual chain gang sledgehammering stones in order to do our time and in so doing pave a way into heaven. We aren't begrudging accomplices dragged in under duress to help do God's dirty work. We're disciples who've fallen in love with Jesus and his portrait of who God is and what God is after and and we just can't imagine any better life than pouring our heart and soul and mind and strength into that cooperative effort. Dancing, as it were, with the one who brought us here. Moreover, we are a people hungry for the fruit of that spirit. And we eagerly jump to plant and tend those seeds wherever we see a patch of bare ground. As awed and grateful as anyone when those tiny efforts, those minuscule little seeds, flourish into overarching branches, sheltering birds and gardeners alike. Of course, the funny and provocative thing about parables is that uh, there is no one final place to stand in them. Parables invite us to move around within their storyline and play different roles. And interestingly, uh, we are as apt to be that soil in the story into which that seed is sown as the one who does the sowing that little patch of land ourselves where God nestles little seeds of the kingdom that with a little tending and a little nurturing grow, we don't know how, into expansive canopies of shelter and grace. You know, that wouldn't be a bad way to think about our lives as disciples and as a church. 
not as the haughty arbiters of righteous rules, but as a garden in whose shade the burnt and the windblown and the hail damaged and the pecked at come to find shelter and home. God will take the smallest seed, so-called wimp, nerd, geek, or weed, those least likely to succeed, in God's hands become great trees. Plant us, Jesus, at your side. Spread our branches far and wide. Reaching out our arms like you. Grow in us your precious fruit. Feed the hungry with your seed. Fruits of joy and hope and peace. Shelter all within your leaves. The great strong the least of these. Lord, we would your branches be forming love's great canopy. Love is what God longs to see growing strong in you Flowing on as you and I spread our branches far and wide. Feed the hungry with your seed, fruits of joy and hope and peace. Shelter all within your leaves, the great, the strong. your branches be forming love's great canopy forming love's great Find the words or not, O oh God, that's our prayer, that we might be branches, leaves of your great canopy in which the lost and the least and everyone else might find shelter and peace.